Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Football is back. We've got Bills and Rams, Bucks and Cowboys, Chiefs and Cardinals, all of the NFL action coming up for week one. Use our promo code BLEAVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It easy podcast live on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it is as always a podcast welcome 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 everybody i hope you all are having a fantabulous weekend thus far this is wired up episode 123 123 on the dot it is wired up 123 Coming at you on the rare Saturday, just wanted to experiment with something new here on the Take It Easy podcast, and we are coming at you following what can only be described as the game of the year in college football between Alabama and Texas. That was an absolutely thrilling football game, so if you're a Longhorn fan or you're a Bama fan, Thanks for stopping in. If you're a fan of the show, make sure to leave a follow, a download, a five-star review, wherever and however you may be tuning in, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is that you consume podcasts. Leave a review. Leave as many downloads as you can. Help support our dreams. Check out all of our work with the links in the description of this episode as well. Okay, so to talk about Alabama and Texas. There are about four things that I wanted to talk about going into this game, and then the game just turned into an absolute thriller. So I'm going to work backwards to what I want to talk about, because uh, I read this great quote in a book where it's like, the world makes sense working backwards, but the world only works forwards. So to make sense of everything that happened in Alabama and Texas and all of the macro level conversations and all sorts of stuff, we got to start with the game itself the very end, and work backwards from there to analyze the rest of the game. So let's start right at the very end of this game. First of all, watching Alabama play football feels like watching the Kansas City Chiefs. And I had thought about this earlier in the game because when it was 10-3, to right after Alabama had that broke off that 81-yard touchdown and it looked like they were going to do the Alabama thing and just blow out Texas... When that happened, Alabama on the next drive, this was the last drive before they just totally imploded as a football team for two and a half quarters. On that last drive, Alabama had a third and 12. Bryce Young called a timeout. It was their second timeout of the half. There was like 12 minutes left in the second quarter. And then they just up and converted a third and 12. 
And I was watching that and I just thought to myself, I will never stop being amazed at how Bryce Young in Alabama, and this goes back to Mac Jones, this goes back to Tua, even a little bit with Jalen Hurts, but less so with Jalen Hurts, specifically Tua and Mac Jones and uh, now specifically Bryce Young, who might be the greatest quarterback in the history of college football, who I think is probably going to win two straight Heisman trophies, which would be the first time since the 1970s that that's happened. And it's no quarterback has done it. Bryce Young is ridiculously good. But I'm watching this and I'm like, it will never stop being amazing that Kansas City, during the season in which they lost the Super Bowl to Tampa, converted fourth down, or sorry, converted third and 10 plus at a better rate than how the rest of the league converted third and six. Kansas City converted third and 10 plus at the same rate as the rest of the league converted third and six. And Alabama has the same thing. We're just third and 12. They just flip a switch and they just convert. And I will never stop being amazed by how good Alabama and Kansas City are at that. And the second point where that came up is when Alabama was down 16 to 10. In my mind, I felt like Alabama was going to go down and score a touchdown, even though Bama, from the time they broke off the 81-yard touchdown at the end of the first quarter and the middle of the fourth when they got the ball down 16-10, for two and a half quarters, Alabama had more penalty yards than they had yards of offense. And in my mind, I still felt like Alabama was going to move down the field and Alabama was going to have a measure of success in in scoring a touchdown and making it 17-16. And they did. And then they got stuffed at the 24-yard line on the next drive. Texas goes down, kicks a field goal, 129 left on the clock. And when Texas kicks that field goal with 129 left on the clock, I say the thing that we all say in our homes when we're watching uh, Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady or even Josh Allen is oh, you left too much time on the clock. In the NFL, we're used to that so much. You left too much time on the clock. They're going to go down. They're going to score. Left too much time on the clock. And as I was watching, I thought to myself, oh, you just left too much time. And Alabama's going to go right down the field. They're going to kick a field goal as time expires. Alabama's going to win or the field goal's going to miss. And then we have kind of a cheap, weird victory. But In my mind, I knew Alabama was going to go down the field the same way I know Kansas City was going to, and it was even more spectacular than I had in my mind because Alabama had 129 on the clock. They had one timeout and 75 yards to go. Mind you, Alabama had 75 yards of offense between the end of the first quarter and the middle of the fourth. And Alabama went down the field in 50 seconds. They didn't even need the full time. There was 35 seconds on the clock. They went 60 yards and didn't have to burn a timeout. It took 50 seconds to go 60 yards without burning a single timeout. And it also delivered what is like the play of the season, which is Texas rushing six having a pass rusher go unblocked and Bryce Young ducking the pass rusher who just whiffs on the sack and Bryce Young then moves to his right and rushes for 19 yards. Texas executed a perfect play coming out of a timeout 
with Alabama at like the 41-yard line with 40 seconds to go. Texas called a perfect blitz package. They rushed five, and the sixth guy came in off the side. They executed perfectly, and Bryce Young ducked the sack, rolls to his right, 19 yards, right in field goal range with 30 seconds left to go. It was absolutely incredible. And I'm watching Alabama and thinking to myself, this is like watching Kansas City. This is like watching Buffalo, where you, this is like watching Aaron Rodgers at the end of games because you know you have left too much time and you just know they're going to go down and win the game. And it's remarkable that Alabama has concocted such an offense where they can play awful the entire beginning of the game. They can play terrible for two and a half quarters and get thoroughly outplayed by Texas to the point where Texas should have been in a position where, at the very least, Alabama needs to go down the field and score a touchdown at the end of the game instead of a field goal. And at the very best, Texas has put this game away from Alabama. The fact that I just expect them to go down and do that instinctively is a testament to Bryce Young and a testament to Alabama, which, by the way, is not very good at running the football. Like, I know Alabama, I'm not the greatest at doing the X's and O's analysis, but Alabama's has to scheme a lot of zone runs, and Bryce Young has to effectively operate as their number one running back a lot of the times. Uh, they they had they showed that he had a, had a record 100 rushing yards last week against Utah State, and then this game he had, like, 51 rushing yards, and I think he was the leading rusher for Bama, but... By the end of the game, they basically just abandoned the run altogether because since Najee Harris left and since they lost those eight NFL running backs in four years that went through their program, whether it's uh, Damian Harris, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, Najee Harris, like they had eight uh, TJ Yeldon down the list. They had eight NFL running backs that went through their system and those eight NFL running backs are now gone and they don't really have an effective running game. Alabama just turned it to Bryce Young and said, Bryce Young, you're going to make this work. And it was pretty incredible to watch. Um, And this brings back to the second point I wanted to talk about, which now we've worked back from the end of the game. The middle of the game was quite remarkable because I have a few stats in front of me listed. Alabama had 19 yards of offense between the long touchdown that they had and going down 13 to 10 against Texas. And then they punted back to Texas. Texas got a field goal. Uh, Alabama had like four sacks. They got sacked like four times in the game, which they're not quite turnovers, but sacks operate as like half turnovers, especially in college football. And I thought it was remarkable that Alabama went from having 17, uh, went from being up 10-3, an 81-yard touchdown. They're about to do the Bama thing. We all expect them to do. They had 19 yards of offense after that touchdown, finished the game with 15 penalties for 103 yards, and they did not have a single penalty in the final 10 minutes of this game. They did not have a penalty for the final 10 minutes and still broke a Nick Saban Alabama record for penalties and yards. They did pen- they broke the penalties record by 4 minutes left in the third quarter and they broke the yards record in the first 2 minutes of the fourth quarter. They did not commit a single 
penalty the last 10 minutes of the game and still broke the Nick Saban record for penalties. And Will Anderson, who's like going to be the number two pick in the draft or the number three, he's going to be the first non-quarterback drafted in the NFL draft, according to our NFL draft expert, Blake Jude. He ended up with four of the penalties. Two of them were offsides. One of them was a late hit, like weird ass penalties from Will Anderson and Alabama. I cannot emphasize how crazy that is. They broke a Nick Saban record for penalties and they did it in less than three quarters. That's pretty freaking incredible of how poorly Alabama played in the middle of that game. And it was truly interesting to watch that play out and Texas capitalizing to the best they could on that opportunity because I haven't talked to our friend Juju Talk Sports I'm sure Texas fans will point to the fact that they had to kick five field goals and they only made four of them because there was the shanked one at the end of the first half the fact they had to kick five field goals is something that they would point to and say ah we got to convert better at the goal line perhaps the better way to look at that is that Alabama despite the fact that they played poorly and had so many penalties and couldn't move the ball running it on offense goal line defense on point for Alabama goal line defense was on point like if you were looking for the evidence of hey everyone is saying that Alabama is wildly better than Texas because Alabama has four have four and five stars and Alabama's backups are better recruits than Texas's starters and where where the evidence was for this game there wasn't a lot of Texas actually dominated the game for more than Alabama did and the evidence of that was when Texas got inside the 20 yard line and the field had to shrink and Alabama didn't have to worry about defending all this space in the secondary where uh, I think it was Xavier Worthy who's the Texas receiver like when the where the Texas receivers could beat the the young Alabama corners in space cuz Xavier Worthy's a five-star receiver and they've got a couple four-star guys below him you can see the change in the Alabama defense. Like Texas was able to move the ball down the field pretty easily. Once they got to the goal line, Alabama on fucking point. And that's something that if you're Texas, I think you just kind of walk away and say, hey, we got bested in that space, which is a totally reasonable expectation to have is that Alabama's goal line defense is going to best you in stopping you from scoring touchdowns because they have to cover less space and they have these superstar athletes that despite the fact Texas had a five-star quarterback a five-star running back and a five-star receiver and not a whole lot else at five-star um as five stars Texas could still was having difficulty stacking up against the Alabama defense you could point to that in the goal line and say great job done by Alabama and This is a really interesting game before that because you're watching this and obviously Quinn Ewers gets hurt and Juju's already made clear that Longhorn fans are going to be in the if we had just had Quinn Ewers camp for a good portion of the game. Uh, The Texas offense is so much fun. Quinn Ewers is so much fun. Bijan Robinson is not quite Kenneth Walker last year, but still a running back that's against defenses that aren't also five stars looks totally overwhelming and played pretty well despite he outrushed Alabama's running back if you take away the 81 yard touchdown he outrushed Alabama 
And that's a testament to just how good Texas is. It's entertaining product. And Xavier Worthy is going to be a future NFL wide receiver. So you've got that combo that just makes them more fun to watch. And Texas's offense is going to be really fun next year, too, even without B. John Robinson. Texas is going to get back to a level of respectability. And this was evident probably before this game. Watching this game points to the fact that, like, okay, Texas doesn't have the greatest defense in the world. Check. Okay, they've got good quarterbacks and good wide receivers. And they, I mean, I say good quarterbacks. Like, Hudson Card came in and was, like, injured and still, like, moving the ball at the, at down the field at the level of, like, an average college football quarterback. I think he had, like, 9 for 15 for 100 yards, which is not great, but is still pretty good. And Texas is fun to watch, and that's going to be interesting to watch. And if you're Alabama, you survived this one, you're fine. We'll forget about it by the time Week 9 rolls around. We know, we Even in the terrible, terrible game that they played, they did not deserve to win. Alabama was playing like... So basically going into the game, and here's the best way I can phrase it, uh, thinking about it now. Going into the game during our Alabama and Texas preview that I did with Juju and our friend from Boda Sports. You can check that out on YouTube. There's a link in the description to this episode. And going into the game, I talked about how the formula to beat Alabama was commit a whole bunch of turnovers on defense. Like Bryce Young throws two interceptions, three interceptions, four interceptions, you generate fumbles, and that's the way that you counteract Alabama. And for one of the rare times, and this is just a big exception thing, and and maybe this is exceptional performance by Texas, or maybe it's exception to Alabama's rule on the part of Alabama, which is Alabama had four sacks. I mean, they personally got sacked four times, which they're not turnovers, but they operate as mini turnovers. And Alabama had no ability to run the football. And Alabama had, as we talked about earlier, the 16 or 15 penalties in three quarters. They broke a Nick Saban record for penalties. They, they had more penalty yards than yards of offense in the second and third quarter combined. And you can count the first part of the fourth quarter, too, where they had a, a punt possession. But in the second and third quarter, Alabama had negative yards, which is exception to the rule for Bama's offense or exceptional performance for Texas. Probably somewhere in the middle, you can count both of those things. Altogether, it was an exception to the rule. And Texas... We, you could argue, should have capitalized on that and won the game because if one of those field goals turns into a touchdown, Texas wins that game because they're up 14 points, and maybe Alabama kicks that field goal instead. But it would it would have been a much more remarkable comeback for Alabama to beat Texas in the fourth quarter because they would have been down, say, uh, I don't know, instead of Texas leaving eight points on the field would have made it a two-possession game. I guess if you count the eight points, it would have been 24 to 10. And Alabama, I mean, they technically possessed the ball three times, but it would have been 24 to 10. And Alabama would have had to score a touchdown, score another touchdown, even though they turned the ball over. And Texas would have won the game right there, or the game would have gone to overtime. Whatever you want to point to, Texas left eight points on the field, arguably, if you're going back to the end of that game, which is not as bad as it could have been because, again, Texas 
just got stopped at the goal line a whole bunch by Alabama, which again, Alabama, great defensive performance. This was the exception to all the rules with Alabama. And usually in those exceptional type of games, Alabama wins them more than they lose or more than other teams happen to win them when you have an exceptionally poor performance given the resume of the last 11 years. So Texas had an exceptional game and Alabama had an exceptional game and it led to I mean, I mean, Alabama's had close games in the past. They played Auburn last year and almost lost because Bryce Young threw four turnovers in the game. But that's the formula to beat Alabama. It was the formula to beat Tua. It was the formula to beat Jalen Hurts. Uh, going back pre that with Alabama, it's it's harder to gauge because Alabama now has revolutionized their offense where they're getting the five stars, changing their offense to tailor what Bill O'Brien or Steve Sarkeesian or Lane Kiffin is running and they've set up offenses that now have the best court. They, they now have offenses that are capable of going 60 yards down the field in 50 seconds and going to win a game. That just wasn't something that existed in the past for Alabama. So if you're looking at the last six years, the exceptions to the rule where Alabama loses usually come from performances like uh, what we saw last year with Alabama or what we saw with Texas A&M where they forced turnovers and had a couple big plays. Or you could go back to 2019 when Alabama lost to Auburn. And I just looked it up. Other than those two, there is not really any other precedent in the last six years for an exceptional Alabama game where a team that's clearly a 14 to 20 point underdog is is playing it close with Alabama because the only other teams that have beaten Alabama 2018 Clemson Clemson was favored going into that national championship Uh, 2019 LSU LSU was favored in the regular season 2021 Georgia Georgia was favored going into that national championship game and so other than Texas A&M last year Auburn last year and 2019 Auburn which even that 2019 Auburn game there was no Tua it was Mac Jones, like even those games, you still don't have any precedent other than those for Alabama having an exceptional performance. And so historically, the the rule for that is either, well, in 2012 to have Johnny Manziel on your team be Ole Miss for some reason. But basically in the in the Alabama revamping their offense era, which is when Jalen Hurts gets there, followed by Tua, who's a five star, Mac Jones, who wasn't a five star, but had a Heisman Trophy winning receiver first round running back in Najee Harris, first round running back, first round top 10 pick wide receiver Jalen Waddell. Um, that team just totally, totally overwhelming in 2020 and won the national championship. Like Alabama doesn't have any games like this that are so exceptional. Um, uh, you could maybe argue Florida last year when Florida was beating Alabama in the second half, but Alabama won that game like rather handily towards the end. There's not a whole lot of precedent for a team being the underdog that Texas was and the team that Texas is as a program right now, because this brings me to the last point that I wanted to talk about with the University of Texas, which is these types of games are measuring stick type of games. We talked about last week how it's a measuring stick for Notre Dame. It's a measuring stick for, uh, say, uh, Oregon, which Oregon didn't have a great one last week. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was the University of Miami against Alabama. Whenever you get to play one of those established powerhouse programs, like Ohio, well, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia are the current ones. Clemson was in that group before because they were getting five stars and had Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence back to back. But Clemson, not anymore. We're we're talking about now 
Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and in the past it was also Clemson. When you play those teams and you're a program on a rebound like Texas is, where last year they missed a bowl game, and I will never stop talking about how lost to Kansas at home, Kansas had not won a road conference game in 13 years before they beat Texas. They had never beaten Texas in Texas before. If you are the University of Texas, this is a measuring stick game, and you have to walk out of this feeling awesome. You have to be feeling so awesome about yourself. If you had won that game, that would have been your championship for the season. Nothing else would have mattered the rest of the way because for the rest of time, you get to hold that victory of Bama winning. Sure, you're not going to win the Big 12 championship because, again, this game was exceptional job by your defense. The fact that it was exceptional suggests that they will regress to the mean at some point once they get into the Big 12 schedule. And it was an exceptionally poor performance from Alabama because... Uh, Well, you know, as a team, Alabama can't run the football, but also, again, Alabama had more penalty yards than yards of offense in the second and third quarter of this game and still ended up winning because all that did was close the 21 point gap between the spread. And Texas obviously lost Quinn Ewers, et cetera, et cetera. If you're the University of Texas, you have to be feeling awesome coming out of this measuring stick game. And this goes back to something I said a few minutes ago, which is Texas is going to be fun to watch. If Quinn Ewers comes back and plays the next two seasons with Xavier Worthy, Bijan Robinson will go to the NFL after this year, but if you alternate someone else in, it's at least a fun product to watch. It's at least a team that's going to win eight or nine games, maybe make it to the Sugar Bowl, more likely make it to like the Alamo Bowl or something like that. But they're going to play fun games. They're going to score points. They're going to be worth watching this season and next with the current iteration of the team. Because this is kind of the core developing. I mean, Bijan Robinson is a holdover from the Tom Herman era. But like by year three, Sark has brought in through the transfer portal and through recruits the players he wants on his team for a season where they're going to make a push for the Big 12 championship. But they also might be in the SEC, which is confusing. But basically any program by year two and year three, this is where the developmental process steps up and I'm really interested by how the University of Texas has gone about building that program because I'm really fascinated by how they go from here like I assume Texas is going to win eight games they'll lose to Oklahoma they'll lose to Oklahoma State they will lose to like uh, a weird game to like West Virginia or Iowa State or something and then uh, they'll maybe lose to, I guess that would be four losses. So like they'll lose to Baylor, they'll lose to Oklahoma, they'll finish fourth in the Big 12. And if you're coming out of that, that should be viewed as a success. That game should be viewed as a building block because you almost won that game. It was hugely entertaining. It's going to be disappointing that you lost. The fact that you were even in it is incredible. And I think that's the perspective shift that maybe Texas needs or Texas lacks. I don't know exactly how the state of the Texas fandom has changed Historically, Texas is known for having way too high of expectations relative to the program performance. It's why it's so easy to make fun of the University of Texas when they go 5-7 and seven or when they lose to Kansas. I don't know how the last few years have shifted, the, or when, by the way, they fire Tom Herman after making a sugar bowl. That's a they they just didn't like Tom Herman, I suppose, who's now doing like Friday night CBS Sports Network studio TV. Like maybe they just didn't like tom herman in that respect and there might have been other factors at play like the fact that they went all in on urban meyer didn't get urban meyer and then just decided we're gonna go 
fire Herman anyways and then find the coach after that. Like Texas has made decisions in management that would not be recommended and they are still a team that is going to be halfway decent because now they're climbing up from whatever it is, eighth in the Big 12 at this point because they are last year losing to Kansas, losing to West Virginia, losing to Iowa State, losing to Texas Tech. I don't know if they actually lost to Texas Tech, but point still stands. They went 5-7, and seven, only won two games in conference play. Like the University of Texas historically has been the school where expectations don't match up with performance and therefore they can be obnoxious combined with just all of the stuff around the university of texas like they were the last school to integrate into the 1970s the university of texas has that song that they sing afterwards and force black players to sing despite the fact that it's racist and there's a whole lot of calls to get the song moved uh, away from the school. They're way smarter people than me to talk about that issue, especially Bomani Jones. He does a great uh, podcast called The Right Time. He talks about the University of Texas song and stuff. There's just a whole lot of white power symbolizing around the University of Texas where the donors are will actively sacrifice the success of the football program in exchange for putting together a product that they can sell to white customers. And we're not really in that place anymore in college football. And they want the the power is more important than the success on the field for Texas. When push comes to shove, it's like a, the best way I can phrase it is like Jerry Jones syndrome is the boosters at Texas have that Jerry Jones syndrome where the first priority is to make money. The University of Texas very much so is like Jerry Jones where he talks about I the thing I want before I die is a Dallas Cowboy championship. And then you could ask Jerry Jones, well, if you remove the salary cap, you could spend more money than all of your opponents and crush them. And Jerry Jones is like, no, minimizing costs, maximizing revenue is first priority. And then football is secondary. And we want to appease to a white fan base like the Dallas Cowboys do, even though the Dallas Cowboys don't need to do that because – they're the Dallas Cowboys. They have a hugely national audience. And so it's that same Texas has that same kind of white power vibe around it to Dallas Cowboys, Washington racial slurs. They they have that vibe to them and in the past have had irrationally high expectations. And I think this time around Texas has changed the vibe around that and I think the expectations have changed say as Texas football hasn't been great for a decade or Texas football has a new fan base and a new group of students who revolve around the program. I'm not exactly sure what it is because I just don't know the University of Texas. I'm basing this off of what they used to be in the past or for the last 20 years. And so maybe they have adjusted the expectations. Maybe they walk out of this game and say, hey, this was a hugely, hugely successful game for us. We were hugely huge. We were close to beating Alabama with this exceptional performance, and it would have been a championship level moment that we could hold up the same way that I, in response, will hold up losing to Kansas last season, even though I also say first year in any program, you get a you get a pass like you get a pass for no matter how terrible it goes. It just means if you lose to Kansas, you have to build it all the way back up from scratch or in the case of Texas being eighth in the Big 12. And if they go from eighth to fourth this year, you can point to that and say, hey, we have the resources we're moving on our way back up as we go to the SEC. That's basically like being as good as Arkansas, who, by the way, Texas lost to last year against Arkansas. So if Arkansas is the seventh best team in the SEC and we can beat them, then good on us. 
And that's just progress because Texas fell so hard when Tom Herman got fired, when they tried to go after Urban Meyer, when they lost the resources because they're paying like three different coaches buyouts at the same time. Expectation shift is something that makes the experience more enjoyable and it's it's analysis based on the data that's available to you, which might take some of the fun out of sports. I know I'm sounding like a drag at this point by saying Texas should lower their expectations and your team should lower your expectations for the next three years because that is not emotional. It's logical and sports are probably more fun when they're emotional. I have had way more fun talking about the game itself and watching and the emotional response I got watching Alabama, Texas, because that was the most enjoyable sporting event I've watched in a good few months. And watching that was more enjoyable than doing the analysis of this. So I understand the emotional, the logical response, especially if you are, say, a Texas Longhorn fan who's discovering this podcast from, I don't know, like the Longhorn Discord or something. But I think that adjusting expectations is interesting. And while I don't know any Texas Longhorn fans besides our friend Juju, adjusting the expectations, and Juju's like very down to earth when it comes to Texas, I would say, in terms of using the emotional side and logical side well i think he has a healthy mix of being a sports fan other than that i just know what the reputation of the university of texas is it's the reputation of cowboy fans it's the reputation of bears fans it's those people who you don't necessarily the the expectations are above the precedent and uh, it's a very like go big or go home Texas kind of stereotypical go big or go home Texas vibe. I don't know what Texas is like right now. So I'd be interested to know how the University of Texas has responded to um, the last few years and whether the last decade has shifted expectations for the program, which again is the second highest revenue generating football school in all of America and has gigantic donors if they did it right and if they made great hires both at the athletic department level and the coach level and their boosters got out of the way and ran a strong program, they could be Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia. Because remember, Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia have less resources to work with than the University of Texas. It's not by much. It's still pretty close to being equal. And Texas could be that it's one of the handful of programs that right now are in the like fourth tier of college football teams or like have barely been in the second tier for the last 10 years to 15 years. I guess it's been 12 years since they played in that national championship game when Colt McCoy left 12 years ago. So in the last 12 years, Texas has been in that like third tier, fourth tier group of schools like with Baylor. They've been basically second fiddle to Oklahoma in the Big 12 and Oklahoma State. They've basically been in the same group as Oklahoma State and Auburn and schools that finish in the like 10 to 12 range and making a New Year's Six Bowl game is a success. For a school that's been in that group consistently for this long, Texas actually has a chance to be a tier two team consistently if they have the stability of a Notre Dame, if they have the stability of of a Penn State if they have a stability of, well, I was going to say LSU, but let's say the stability of a Texas A&M, who's probably the most comparable program to what the University of Texas is and has been for the last 12 years, which probably drives Texas fans insane to say that. It's just the best precedent that exists. And so I'm interested to see how Texas adjusts expectations and possibly makes this whole 
almost beating Alabama thing more enjoyable for them and makes having a fun football team more enjoyable as they go into the next few years. That's all I've got for Wired Up episode 123. Make sure to follow the Take It Easy podcast wherever you get podcasts and download as many episodes as you can so you can help support our dreams. And just downloading itself helps support our sponsors and helps support the Believe Podcast Network. So with that being said, everybody will be back on Monday for our NFL recap and maybe other college football amuses if anything funny happens in the next, uh, say, few hours of the college football landscape. Although this weekend's college football landscape is much, much more boring than uh, last weekend's was. But Alabama-Texas was the game of the week and the game worth watching and talking about for 35 minutes. So thanks for stopping in, everybody. Take it easy, and we will talk to you again on Monday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.